All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. so honored. This is my very first podcast. Oh my God, that means you've denied many a request, but we made it. Hi, Miss Hughes. I'm Sugar Steve. Hey, Sugar. How are you? Good. I love your name. Thank you. Are you single? (laughs) (laughs) Don't ask about it if you want to. That's right. I was just going to say, don't make any inquiries that you're not looking for answers. Hey, hey, hey. I'm I'm serious. I'm in New York. I mean, I don't know where you are, but... uh, I know your bill's managing now, but so yep. I want to fix it. You're getting a lot done today, Miss Hughes. We're going to get him paid. Okay. Date, I'm going to get paid finally after all these yes. years. How long have we been doing this for? Way too long that I haven't been paid yet. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> I'm going to be super janky. This is going to be the first time that I will admit on the air that I might be stealing the neighbor's Wi Fi. Oh, look what you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> you got good neighbors. Well, how janky? No, they don't know I'm stealing it. Shout out to uh, Apartment B for letting me. <laughs> this episode of Questlove Supreme brought to you by my next door neighbors. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Questlove Supreme. We are together again. We're together. Yeah. yeah. Good. All five of us. It's, it's been a minute. Oh, yeah. Hey, William. Yeah. Hey. Here I'm I am. Hey, Bill. Have you, you've been going a long time. So I, I went to Ponte's house to get cigarettes. And uh, <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. I'm happy to be back. Thank you. So, I'm hearing around the grapevine that you've uh, created yet another Broadway hit. You know, people seem to like it. People come to see it. It's exciting. I'm hearing the buzz. I'm hearing the buzz. I think you well, should come see it. I think everyone should come see it. It's quite, it's, uh, it's a good show. We can like I tell it. you how boss will- Bill is, though? Can I just say that, Amir, I asked Bill. I said, so how long is the show running? And he was like, what do you mean? It just run. And I was like... Oh, that's that happened for everybody, or that's okay. Just run on Broadway until Bill comes from Hamilton pedigree, so that means that anything he creates, you know. Meanwhile, like I've seen, like at least four of my friends kind of have to go back to the drawing board and you know shut down their Broadway plays and you know. Hold on, sidebar. Just speaking about things we create. January nineteenth is the premiere of Jam Van, starring starring three fifths of Questlove Supreme. 
Laia as the big old book of travel. Get it. First animation role. Yep. And Fonte wrote a song for David Diggs, which is, I believe, episode three or four. But anyway, tune in. YouTube Originals, YouTube Kids, January 19th. First two episodes. Yeah. Shout out to Quest Love Supreme. There you go. Yes, we we took care of business. We are talented. Yeah, we are. We are talented. So, ladies and gentlemen, I will say that as a media... Per- Wait a minute. Yes, you are. Am I a media personality now? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah. I'm a media personality. I'm not a drummer anymore. No. Okay, I'll, I'll take that. So I will say that as a media personality, <laughs> I got to think about that one. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was from a generation in which radio was boss. Radio was the common denominator. Even amongst our QLS fam here, I know that I've had, we've talked about uh, Laia's history as a radio personality in Philadelphia and other markets. What were your other markets, Laia, besides Philadelphia? DC and Atlanta. DMV, the Atlanta. Yes. You've done every shift. You've done sun, you've done the afternoon shifts. You've been midday mommies. Mm-hmm. You you were you Laia was a, a midday mommy for for a little bit. Um <laughs> when you start in radio, I I know that you start with weekends and off duty hours and then you'd start in the morning and then when you when they trust you enough to have your own afternoon show, you become a midday mommy. Well, what, wait, what's a guy get, like? Does a guy get that title? Like, it's very New York. No, it's very New York. Okay, <laughs> anyway, I get it. Enough, very few men do middays. We got to talk about really? that. It's a reason too. Oh, I, I want. Yeah, this is going to be the radio education oh, yeah. show. St- Steve and I, like our bonding, even of this this very platform that we're on. Steve and I always talked and fantasized about like both he and I come from a place where we used to have like as kids our own, uh, you know, pretend radio shows. I know Steve to this day still has like collections of his. You, you still have like your fantasy radio shows when you were like 12, right? Oh, yeah. I, I have all that stuff. Plus, I have an actual radio show these days on WKCR. I totally forgot that Steve is And I have actually, a network. Uh, I actually have my own uh Sugar Network, maybe you've maybe you've heard of it. We're turning five years old in February. It's real. It's real it's out been- here. Yes, it, of course. Steve has his own network. Fonte and Bill, I don't know what you guys were into, but I would assume that at some point in your life, you two also had the radio fantasy of just I don't know. If How Howard Stern? Fonte is oh, about yeah. to hit me with it. Nah, I never did that, dog. No, nah, no, nah, I did. Well, I didn't do radio. I did radio in my uh, in college. I had a um, had a rate. Me and Pooh actually had a show on AudioNet, which was like our campus radio station, and you could listen to it like in your dorm room. And so I would do it there. Um, I would make like tapes and stuff as a kid, and like act like a radio announcer. And you know, okay. Yeah, I, I and then I mean our first album, WJLR, that was a fictional radio station. That's right. Even on your own records, you had radio stations. Multiple albums. Yeah. I, I will basically say that, you know, no music lover I know could resist the fantasy of playing radio station. And even to this day, like I make mixtapes for friends. I make these slow jam. Actually, our guest is also really responsible for ch- like a game changing innovation in radio which is the quiet storm for format like i cannot even put forth any you know and in, in a short amount of words of how instrumental and powerful our guest is today when it comes to radio simply put 
you know, between all the markets of name the cities, uh, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Charlotte, Dallas, Houston, Richmond, the DMV. LA at a point, some point in LA yes. too. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, if you're fans of Ricky Smiley, Russ Parr, Reverend Al Sharpton, T.D. Jakes, D.L. Hughley, Erica Campbell, like you could name them all. She's literally responsible, one of the most powerful figures in communication. Owner of Urban One, formerly Radio One, TV One, Interactive One. I cannot believe we pulled this off. Thank you very much. <laughs> we have the one and only Kathy Hughes on Quest Love Supreme. That's probably the so longest honored. introduction I've ever given in life. I am so appreciative, and, and it's so interesting. It's my very first podcast ever. I don't know what my staff is going to say about this when they find out. <laughs> Are they scared? Are they nervous? <laughs> well, no, they've been trying to get me to do a podcast. Really? Have yeah. not. Yes, you're the first I've said yes to. But I got to ah. go back to, to the pretend radio stations. Mine was my bathroom, and my microphone was a toothbrush. Really? And there were six of us in the house, and I locked the bathroom door. I didn't give a damn that people had to go to school and work. I was doing a radio show, and I never came out until my show was over because I knew when I came out, I was going to be physically abused by everybody in the house. They were <laughs> throwing things at me and banging and the interesting thing, I only did two things. I did news and I did uh, commercials. That was the start of my radio. You didn't spin the career. records at all? I spin any records. I didn't have a turntable in the bathroom. So we didn't have, <laughs> okay, and I can't sing. And so there was no music. It was all narrative. I practiced. And uh, it's so interesting because um, I was very serious about it. I did it for years. Uh, because my aspiration was to one day be the first African-American woman to have a nationally syndicated radio show. And I knew I had to practice. And I was 12 years old. And I did my hour broadcast every single solitary morning. So finally, my mother compromised with me and told me if I had to have the bathroom for an hour, I had to do it between the hours of 4 a.m. and 5 a.m. And I cheated. I would do five to six. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. But everybody was always, you know, because in those days, I don't know how families survived because there was only one bathroom. And there right. All right. And, and we didn't even notice that there was only one bathroom and everyone had to go in except in the morning when I was doing my radio show. So that was the start of my career. For you, like when I mentioned radio, what what were your memories of it? Who were you listening to as a kid? Well, number one, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. And so I listened to Conway Twitty. <laughs> what do you know about Conway Twitty? Wow. That's what I listened to. We listened to Elvis Presley. We listened to the Righteous Brothers. We listened wow. to, we listened, it was called Country and Western. And um, my mother, for my 12th birthday for Christmas, um, uh, put, I begged her for a radio, a transistor mm -hmm. radio, and she put it in layaway uh, for Christmas, but she couldn't afford to get it out until April. And so I got it for my birthday. And for the first time, I could hear what I thought were black air personalities. They were really Wolfman Jack and Hoss <laughs> and all of these white personalities sounding like they were black because they didn't allow black men on radio back then. Wow. Really? 
Okay, and I was fantasizing about being this woman who was going to be on radio, not knowing that Hattie McDaniel was the first African-American woman to have a nationally syndicated radio show. She was? I was 40 years old when I found that out. And all the way from 12 years old to 40, my goal was to have a nationally syndicated radio show. So I was kind of thankful that God withheld that information from me. Okay, And it was so interesting because I was in the middle of teaching a class at Howard. And I looked in this book that I wanted uh, to recommend to my students to read. And there it was. And it was like the words popped out of a page into my eyes. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I've been aspiring, but it's what was driving me. So I was really kind of glad that I did not know, because back in those days, syndicated radio was the thing. The NBC radio series, the ABC radio series, back in those days, people, way before anybody, you know, on this um, uh, podcast uh, was even born, we watched radio. We sat around and right. we looked at the radio and you imagine and you visualize. And I mean, some of my greatest radio memories were the boxing matches, because my daddy was a big sports fan. Oh, wow. The crowd, the enthusiasm, you felt you were actually there. And then uh, my mother was a, a very accomplished uh, musician. She had a group called the International Sweethearts of Rhythm, 18-piece all-women's orchestra in the wow. 1930s and 40s. Uh, and they were world-renowned. They traveled all over Europe. They were in Germany. Uh, they were in France. Uh, they were in all these foreign countries uh, playing for the American soldiers. And they would have to do one night for the black soldiers, another night uh, for the white soldiers. But the International Sweethearts of Rhythm um, were nicknamed by Earl Father Hines as the first freedom writers because really? they, were, they were integrated. And the uh, white members of the band would actually darken their face. They would be in not black face, but they would have uh, dark makeup on to pass for black as they would travel through the South. And it was really interesting because uh, the police, the, uh, uh, the stories that they told about how the police would come on board their bus. They had the first tour bus ever built. Uh, because they couldn't stay in hotels, they took a, a old uh, deserted Greyhound bus and put three um, stacks of um, bunk beds, and that's where they rehearsed, that's where they lived, that's where they traveled throughout, and um, the police would come on board the bus, and they would think that the biracial women were the white women, and they would think that the white women were actually the black women because they would have on the makeup. Oh. What would have happened if they found out that white people and black people were together. They would have thought they were freedom riders and arrested them or? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh. Exactly. It was very dangerous. So, you know, um, so radio was like second nature to me because um, <clears throat> I've been trying to write this book for 30 years. And the book starts off when I was five years old. And uh, it was the first time that I realized my mother's picture was in the mural at the Apollo. Mm. And uh, she's rushing. We're late for um, uh, a performance of her band. And, and uh, I'm standing there staring at my mother. And uh, that was the first time that I realized that that I was growing up in the entertainment industry. I don't know when you realized it, you know, mm. because you too, Questlove, uh, uh, grew up in the entertainment industry. But that was the first time that it dawned upon me that my mother was more than just my mama. OK. And right. then that evening for the first time when I saw her on the stage, 
I was like, oh, my goodness, because back in those days, they made me sit on the front row because they wouldn't leave me backstage. Uh, I had 17 aunties. So they could babysit you. So they could babysit me because even back then they were worried about molestation and drugs and other things that were going on backstage. And so did you experience this? So they would make me sit on the front row so that they could keep an eye on me. I sat at the bar. I was the the only five-year-old allowed to sit at the bar. And then once I was seven, like I was working, I was stage manager. So they, that's how they didn't believe in babysitters until way later, but in Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, a year later, when I met Moms Mabley and Red Fox, when we reopened the Howard oh. Theater in D.C., they told me about how uh, when I was a baby, that the girls in the band would pull a drawer out in the hub uh, and when they would get, uh, could stay in people's houses or in hotels. And that was my bassinet. That They would take a drawer out of the dresser. OK, and they would put covers in it. And that's where I would sleep. The first time we said Mom's Mabley on this podcast, yeah. I was just such a big fan of hers as a kid. Like, I'm, ooh, I love you, Aunt. Thank you for saying her name. Well, my baby sister is named Jackie after Jackie Mom's Mabley. <laughs> wow. My mother named uh huh, because uh, Mom's Mabley told me she recognized me. It was strange. I was the general manager of WHUR at the time. She said, Come here, girl. She said, What's your name? And I said, It's Kathy. And she said, your mama named Helen? I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, I bought you your first bassinet because they had you sleeping in a dresser drawer. <laughs> okay, and I'm looking really? at her. And she, yeah, she said, get your mama on the phone. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay, I had no idea. And then um, she told me all these stories about how, um, in addition to everything else, one of the lead attractions of um My mother's group was a woman named Tiny Davis, a world-renowned trumpet player. And Tiny was a lesbian. And that that, um, Moms Mabley told me that she was the first openly, you know, lesbian uh, entertainer. And that, you know, that not only were they not supposed to have black and white people, they also were not supposed to have gay and lesbian people. Right. Okay. I think it was Ma Rainey, the way I, okay. Right. They were really pioneers in so many different areas, and it was the 1930s and 40s. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. 
Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, so probably, you know, in, in, the, in the wake of what I've been sort of going through last year in terms of after Summer of Soul, a lot of people started. Which was, which was, thank you, thank you, thank you thank for you. that. Thank you. Well, God thank bless you for you receiving for that. that. Thank you. Oh my goodness, no, and promoting it and still talking about it regularly on all of our airways. That was the most magnificent piece. That was almost as significant as when they found Oscar Micheaux's films that had oh. been buried in oh. all the. Okay, wow. for you to bring that to life in my opinion, was an Oscar Micheaux. So forgive me for cutting you off, but I Thank have you. to tell you that. I'll take that compliment. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, I was going to say to you that um, I've just been getting so many, like, you know, just random archive stuff. And someone was really incredible enough to gift me, like, almost 100 hours of, like, vintage radio programs. I mean, like, Hal Jackson, Sid McCoy... Jocko Henderson, Georgie like Woods, I'm sure Georgie Woods from you know what it's so we- here's the weird thing the million dollar research right now we've been I have, I have a little pack of like maybe eight or nine cats that like collect these things for the life of us we are are searching high and low for either Georgie Woods's radio show or the dance show that he used to have in Philadelphia that's like. Mm-hmm. That is gold to us. But I, I wanted to ask, like, did you have any interaction with, like, the first generation of syndicated radio personalities like like Jocko Henderson or Sid McCoy, any of those, like, golden voice gods of kind of like the, the 50s? No, because I was still a child. I was still okay. fantasizing and still growing up in Omaha, Nebraska. I knew more about Johnny Carson, <laughs> okay? Okay. And the Fondas and Marlon Brando, all of these were Omaha folks mm-hmm. uh, in the entertainment industry, okay? To get into the pool, like what year is? do you consider your first professional year? Not professional year, but the year of like, I guess now a person would have to start as an intern and then intern to an assistant and an assistant to sort of work your way up the ladder. What's the what's the first step that you had to take to officially plant some feet inside of that world? 
<laughs> I started off as an owner. <laughs> yeah, that's a flex. That's the greatest right. flex of all time. So, so that's the show. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Good night. Omaha, I dropped the mic, right? Yeah. <laughs> Omaha's African-American community has, has produced some of the greatest athletes of all time. Bob Gibson, one of the greatest pitchers, okay, baseball Hall of Famer, Johnny Rogers, Heisman Trophy winner, <laughs> Bob Boozer, basketball, Paul Silas. We had all of these incredible athletes, and they decided to pull their resources and take Willie Nelson off the radio and put James Brown on. So they wow. decided that they were going to buy a radio station and create a black format. And I have always been a saver. My uh, mother and father both instilled in me, if you get a dime, you get to spend a nickel and put a nickel in at that time, my cigar box when I was a child. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was my bank. And so I had my little $10,000 saved when they came up with this venture. And so I invested. So my Wait first, a minute, you can't just say <laughs> My first experience Wait in radio minute. was as an owner. <laughs> okay. But 10,000 right. 10, now might be like 500 bucks, but 10,000 then was like 500,000 now. Like, where did you find the patience to, what did you have to sacrifice to save? My father died at 45, okay, and my portion of the insurance okay. uh, was about 8000 Okay, so I only had about 2000 in nickels and dimes that I had saved myself, but I had $10,000. So I invested in this radio station. And then, uh, because I had been bitten by this radio uh, bug as a child, KOWH in Omaha, Nebraska, um, I uh, went to start volunteering my first job was one of the owners all of us all the owners were actually volunteering biggest mistake biggest biggest business error uh in my career was when i moved to washington dc and i told them i said listen i have this opportunity to join the faculty of the howard university school of communications i don't know any dc i have a five-year-old son would you all please you know buy me out so they bought me out at the same amount that I had put in, which was a $10,000. Years later, all of them made two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a piece yeah. when they disposed of the state. But I didn't have any idea then, okay, that, that you know, the, the value would appreciate it at that level. So they gave me my $10,000 back when I moved to Washington, D.C. But I started off my career in radio as an owner, not working my way up. I ended up working my way up when I was the general manager of WHUR and the staff decided they wanted to unionize and I wasn't going to have it because it would have forced the students out of the facility. Okay, I was not going to allow the union to come in and deny the only reason Howard University had WHUR, which stands for WH, Howard University Radio, was for the students. And yet we had all of these professionals, uh, many of whom were no longer employable in the industry, holding on to their positions and denying the students the opportunity to be on the air. And so... Uh, they went on strike. And so when they went on strike, I told the students, it's me and you, and we went on the air. And I was trembling. That was the first time I had ever been on the air. 
Okay, so I have these group of, a group of teenagers and me, and we're going to keep the station on the air because to this day, thank God, Howard University still is a facility where students can get commercial training because college radio did, could not suffice in getting these kids jobs when they graduated from college. They needed to have a, a, a commercial credential on their resume. I'll say it again. Still the best college radio station, too. I just wanted to say it again to me and the nation. I will say it. I mean, yeah. that's that's the first, even before my own hometown started playing us, like Howard University was the early supporter, even before like our album came out. That's how I run my radio stations to this day. That That is not just about employing the people who, you know, uh, make the salaries, but it's also about creating jobs for artists, for writers, for producers, creating opportunities for them that, that you know, uh, nobody else is going to afford them. This was before it, Black became fashionable and everybody, you know, decided, oh my goodness, okay, this trillion dollar you know community that we're missing out on we're going to hop over here in the black space but back then uh you know it, it was not possible there were no crossovers okay you either got played in black radio or you did okay or you didn't get played and so that's that's been always a priority with my programming because you're an, an owner maybe you can explain this to me okay so when i got in the industry professionally at least with the roots it was like 93 and when our third album came out in 96 96 97 one of our radio promotion guys at the label was trying to explain to me something new is happening at radio that's going to make it harder for us to get you guys on radio and you know the thing that they were saying explaining to me was was basically that Whereas when we used to visit radio stations in 93, 94, 95, personalities on the air had control of what they played. So they were like, they were the tastemakers. If, hey, I know about this cool group from Philadelphia, you guys should hear them, and they played the record. Whereas now we were coming to radio stations and things were like pre-programmed almost weeks in advance before you even get there. Yeah, they consolidated what they did was limit access to artists. That's the reason, you know, uh, we're, we're a very unique corporation. Um, you are. Because, uh, yeah, we're a very unique corporation because my air personalities still uh, have uh, control over their freedom. Playlist. Donnie right. Simpson, I would never insult a Donnie Simpson by telling him what right. to play. Okay, <laughs> all right. If Donnie Simpson doesn't know what to play, then he shouldn't be on the radio, <laughs> okay? Right. Donnie Simpson controls his playlist. Russ Parr controls his playlist. Ricky Smiley. Now, we give them some assistance because with automation and things, everything's got to be in the computer, okay? Right. But also, I have always uh, believed that, um, and, and I think this was my experience at Howard University when I was the general manager of WHUR, uh, I think that, you know, the, some of the major corporations use it as an excuse to avoid payola. That they said that, you know, if you control the playlist corporately, then you eliminate the, okay, well, over the years, uh, I have watched a lot of people figure out how to get around, okay? Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> okay, the control playlist. And the tragedy is that they limit, you know, like in Atlanta, when I realized how popular the music of Atlanta was and how unique it was to Atlanta. Okay, when I recognized Go-Go as being like the national anthem of Washington, D.C. Okay. Baltimore House too, Baltimore House. Exactly, Club, Baltimore yeah. yeah, exactly. I realized that this isn't something that could be controlled corporately. That that, And the other thing that bothered me very much is, is I always had an open door policy. I, I, the artists could always get to me. My staff can always get to me. And when I was hearing that, you know, they won't play me because I'm local. They won't play me because I don't have representation. They won't play me for this reason or that reason. You know, I felt an obligation to try to be of assistance to individuals, particularly on the local level. Now, do we have a system now in place? Yes, because in addition to everything else, what has happened is technology. We're able to test the songs immediately for you, okay? And, and I think that oftentimes um, uh, we find ourselves in opposition to what the label wants to release as opposed to what our audience tells us they want to hear. And uh, so uh, we still have a control system, the quasi-control system, but at the same time, my air personalities have the flexibility because I pay them a lot of money. And a lot of that money is paid to them because of their knowledge and their experience and their expertise. I want them to be aware of what you know the trends are in the clubs if we're if it's uh, if you're on my hip-hop format i want them to to really help resurrect some of these classic uh r&b acts that were it not for us okay if we had not really conceptualized you know adult <laughs> contemporary all right some of these artists would still be working as sales clerks somewhere as opposed to performing. I have always viewed being in business a lot more than just making money for the business. I was taught, my family has a mantra, which is that in order for you to do well in your life, you must first do good for other people. And I've always wanted to do good because I can't tell you how many nights my mama as a professional musician had to feed us scrambled eggs for dinner because we couldn't afford because some promoter hadn't paid her or some gig hadn't worked. So I understood how life was hard for artists. And my mama was at top of the game. Okay. And she still wasn't making money. All right. Because mm -hmm. she was playing swing. Mm -hmm. And so I've always had this commitment uh, with my uh, format. The other uh, stations have a lot more resources. Uh, they're a lot larger than us. Uh, you know, we're big for Black-owned media. We're the biggest in Black-owned media, but compared to, you know, what used to be Clear Channel, hmm. uh, which started the same year as Radio One, okay, with Lowry Mays. Um, but when you look, look at these major corporations that are now in, quote, the Black space, even with their control of the format, they still have some of the same problems they had before they controlled it. But at the same time, because of their size, they're still able to have a relationship with the artists. Mm -hmm. 
I want to have more than a relationship with an artist. I want to be able to tell the story of the first time I played John Legend. His name was John Stevens. Stevens and okay, and, all right. And he brought me 10 cassette tapes that he had produced himself with a magic marker. And when I went, he was selling them at $10 a piece. But I went up to him and I said, young man, I'd like to buy all 10. And he said, oh, no, ma'am, I'm sorry. I can't sell them to you because I need to try to get these disc jockeys to listen. <laughs> okay, and I said, well, I know these disc jockeys. So it'll be okay if you sell me all 10. And I laid a hundred Bless his heart, John Legend. Bless his little heart. <laughs> I sold all them. Like, that's, that's gas money to get to the next show. And I'm sorry. I, I'm just, I'm done. No, this is. The the less I talk, I the better. Because I'm paid. I'm going to get a commission off unpaid. I'm representing him now. <laughs> Finally, the respect I deserve after all these years. Thank you, Ms. Hughes. Thank you. You're welcome. I wanted to ask, because you mentioned moving to D.C., but I want you to talk about moving to D.C. I believe you said it was because of that opportunity at H.U.R. No, it was actually the opportunity to be on the faculty and they first a school of communications. Okay, so talk about moving to DC and the difference of culture and what you saw and don't get it twisted. You must have fell in love because you've never left. Can you can you talk about that? I grew up in an environment where there were only white folks and black folks and Native Americans. I never saw an Asian. I never saw anyone of uh, uh, a Hispanic, Latino. I never saw a foreigner. Okay, growing up in Omaha, Nebraska, it was strictly black folks, white folks, and our Native American brothers and sisters were on reservations. So when I got to DC, I saw black excellence. I used to write back home and say that my eyes were tired, my eyeballs were, because I was just like in awe. I was like a kid. I had never seen black doctors, black lawyers, black everything. Howard University was like to me, going to heaven. I could not believe, okay, I just, because I had never, ever experienced this in my growing up. Because by the time I was in school, my mother's band had folded, the men had come back from the war. So her all-female band was never, not no longer in you know, demand. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my mama went and became a nurse. So when I came to Howard, uh, I was part of the very first faculty that uh, Tony Brown put together, created School of Communications around the radio station. They had the radio station before they had so many Tony Browns, right? I mean, My Tony like, Brown from Philly. Tony Brown is like <laughs> Tony Brown, uh, 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 who has um, uh, Tony Brown's journal. Still, <gasps> oh, that's Tony Brown. Yes, that's Tony Brown. Yes, yeah, <laughs> shout out Tony Brown at the age of twelve when I went to the Democratic National committing Kansas City. Wow. Gave me two tickets to the Victory Tour because the Jacksons opened the Victory Tour in Kansas City. Wow. Just randomly gave me two. And th those are hard tickets to get. I oh, love wow. Tony Brown just for that. I forgot about Tony Brown. Tony Brown's that, journal. Mm, black history yeah. right there. That's who hired me yeah. because the University of Nebraska did not have a black studies department because it's very conservative, okay, in Nebraska. Mm -hmm. But we had a Black Studies Committee, and I was the chairperson of the Black Studies Committee. And we would bring Tony Brown to uh, Omaha to speak all of the time. So when Dr. James Cheek offered him the position of the first dean and asked him to create the School of Communications, Tony said, would you like to come and be part of our faculty? And at that time, uh, again, I was elated. 
Quincy Jones was on the faculty, Stan Latham was on the faculty, Melvin Van Peoples was on the faculty. Oh, yes, we had a faculty that, okay. Ooh, them Christmas parties. Ooh. <laughs> okay. I mean, it was unbelievable. And my first assignment was a communications conference. And at the communications conference, nobody could attend the communications conference conference from corporate America and the entertainment industry unless you had guaranteed in writing to Tony Brown uh, and myself that you would hire at least two students. We have students from all the HBCUs come. And that very first year, that very first conference, 172 students of color got jobs in the industry because of Tony Brown. Wow. Tony Brown wow. said, we don't need for you all to come to window dress if you're going to come and meet with these students from around the country. So that was our first kickoff to the School of Communications at Howard, which, you the know. The school which is now named the Kathy Hughes School, school of Communications. Communications. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have a listing of like, just some of the who's who of personalities that have, have sort of just come through your. It's amazing to me. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing to me as, as you age, because, you know, your life can, and I still work. So it keeps, you know, it, it keeps, you know, uh, going on, but no, it's not a, a who's who's list. And it's so amazing to me when um, people uh, come up to me and tell me stories about, you know, you gave me my first opportunity or you played my record. Okay. Right. Or you did this. Okay. Or you opened this door. You, you know, you booked me. Uh, the first time I booked earth, wind and fire, I had a total of 20 people in the Crampton auditorium. And I went and stood on the corner of Georgia Avenue at the entrance to Howard and begged people to come in. And Jessica Cleese was the lead singer, not Philip Bailey. <laughs> okay. All I remember right. her. She's friends with my mom. Remember. All right. Mm. And when I see Verdine, Verdine, he was there. You know, he said to me, says to me all the time, this is the lady who got us started because she went out there on the corner and begged people to come in. And when I tell people that the lead singer for Earth, Wind and Fire was <laughs> Jessica Cleese, they're like, what? Okay, no. Okay, you know this. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. And like I said, I had 20 people. But uh, Jim Brown, okay, wow. Jim Brown yeah. was involved with Jessica Cleese, and he had put money, he had given Maurice White money to start this group called Earth, Wind, and Fire. All right. And my uncle um, were very good friends in Los Angeles. And so my uncle had hooked him up with me. And so he had brought me this group called Earth, Wind, and Fire. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I went on the, we went on the radio and told people to come. Nobody had heard them. Nobody came. And so I think before the evening was over, I might have gotten 40 people in there to hear them at Crampton Auditorium. Crampton wow. is a 15 seat, uh, yeah. 1500 seat venue. Right. Everyone gets their start somewhere. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. 
I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the south side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn. Alliances will shift. And danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Was there so an act that was a hard sell? You know, did you get an awkward prince back in like 1978 when he wasn't ready yet? Like... Listen, I can't tell you how many battles I fought for Prince because I discovered Prince when he was like 13 or 14 years old and people thought he was obscene was the word that they used to describe, you know, and I was like, this boy's a musical genius. This kid is unbelievable. He plays every instrument there is. What are you talking about? Obscene. Oh, his lyrics. Remember, music and fashion have gone through periods where there was serious censorship and okay, and mm-hmm. certain things weren't allowed. And mm-hmm. you know, lyrics had to become a camouflage, like Puff the Magic Dragon was about weed. Okay, <laughs> all right, okay. <laughs> you know, so you had to camouflage, it had to have, you know, the, the double meaning. Uh, but so many. But I guess uh, that probably the John Stevens story is the biggest in terms right. of because right. of his accomplishments and still he's. He's still young. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Nobody knows where he will end up because he's, he's been like a rocket uh, ship with so many various groups over the years. Um, but one of the things that I've been proudest of, quite frankly, uh, was the assistance that we did provide for the doo-wop groups and for the oldies, the goodies, as they call them, because so many of these individuals were starving. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, they love the art. They love the music, but they couldn't work any longer. And disco just killed so many of them off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was not until we, during that same era, came up with this concept of, you know, basically oldies, but we, you know, put more sophisticated titles to it. Delt contemporary. Okay. So you help usher in like nostalgia era and well, the urban AC category, Amir. I think she's saying that they created the urban AC category. No, no question. What? Okay, and it was to really provide platforms. We ha- we have this had this event for years until it became too big, quite frankly, for us to handle. I admire the fact that Philadelphia still is able to do this. It's called the Stone Soul Picnic. And the Stone Soul Picnic was only these old groups that, you know, the Ohio players, the, okay, right. all of these groups that had been dormant, <laughs> okay? Right. Nobody was buying them. Nobody was sampling them, okay? Right. Nobody was recognizing them for their, their brilliance. And uh, we start resurrecting them. 
Okay, and I kind of stumbled into it after I had created The Quiet Storm because The Quiet Storm was love music, uh, love with ballads. Uh, and I had to really reach back, all mm -hmm. right, to, to eras where lyrics told stories. You got to tell that story. You need to tell The Quiet Storm story. Yeah, where's the name from? Explain to us who Melvin Lindsay was and how you guys invented you guys basically helped triple the population. <laughs> and let me tell you that the reason, the main reason I want to write my book is because when WHUR celebrated its anniversary, there were several inaccurate accountings of the quiet storm. Number one, Melvin Lindsay was not the originator. Melvin Lindsay was my third air Whoa. person. Whoa. He was not my first. He was my third. Okay. Whoa. Oh, All right. My first was a kid named Don Roberts, who broke my heart because he was the most talented of my th first three. But he was good looking. And he said to me, I got a face for television, Miss uh, Liggins. OK, because I wasn't even married to doing that. He said, I don't want to be in a, in a radio studio where no one can see me. Sure enough. Went on to be a big time anchor in Baltimore, Maryland. OK, wow. Don Roberts. <laughs> My first. My second was a young man named Jack Schuler. Jack Schuler was Melvin Lindsay's best friend. Melvin Lindsay was my intern that I paid out of my pocket. He picked my son up from school. He came because Howard said that they didn't have a budget for interns. If I, and I needed some of the students to actually be in a position to earn some money. So Jack Schuler was vomiting literally. After each show or during the show, he was so nervous. He was trembling. He said, please don't make me do this no more, Miss Liggins. Please, please. <laughs> Melvin would do it. Melvin would do it. So Melvin told me he would do The Quiet Storm if I didn't make him open the microphone. So if there were any early tapes that uh, <laughs> we've been looking for, yeah, he would say, good evening and welcome to The Quiet Storm. The next time you would hear Melvin Lindsay's voice, he would say, Thank you for listening to The Quiet Storm. I'm Melvin Lindsay. There was nothing in between from Melvin except the music. Great taste in music. It was my private music collection. And I started it out on Saturday night and then on Sunday. And then uh, I decided that it the, the conception of The Quiet Storm was for a senior to be chosen by the faculty. Uh, two seniors, in fact, one for each semester to give them a commercial experience on their resume, okay? Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. never for one person to host the show. It was never supposed, it was, a, uh, it was supposed to be a rotation opportunity. The closest I came to it was Milton Allen, who was married to Pat Prescott in LA, uh, uh, Sheila Eldridge, Mm. And with Franklin, those were my three okay students that I was able to rotate. Okay, nobody else uh, rotated. Okay, people came and got stuck, including Melvin. Well, Melvin did so good that KYS Kiss uh, told him that uh, they would give him an opportunity if he would come and be on the air at Kiss. So Melvin walks into my office. Now this, like I told you, he's an intern. I have. Literally 
supported him, okay, his parents would say to him, well, you need to ask Miss Liggins first before you do so-and-so. I had picked his classes for him the whole nine yards. He tells me on a Friday that he's got an offer and he's going to work at KISS. And Mm -hmm. I'm thinking he's talking about after graduation and all this. And I said, when? He said, Monday. I was Mm -hmm. so irate. I told him to get out of my office. What? Yes. So Dewey Hughes, who at that time had 14 Emmys for his productions at NBC, 14 Emmys. Okay. He created youth news. He created music videos as quiet as it was kept. Anyway, Dewey comes to my office and he tells me that it's a setup, that NBC just wanted Melvin off the air and that they had him in the mail room. And would I please bring him back? And I said, bring him back. And he said, let me take you to dinner and talk to you about this. Well, ultimately, Dewey and I got married and Melvin came back. Okay. And years later, (laughs) okay. There and years later, I never will forget we were at this big affair and Melvin was being honored. And I was in the audience with Dewey and uh, Melvin didn't acknowledge the fact that I was even in the audience. And Dewey had torn his um, Achilles uh, attendant uh, playing basketball. He was on crutches. He went up to uh, the head table on crutches. He grabbed Melvin Lindsay around the neck and he said, I'm married because of you. And you don't even acknowledge her. Wow. Okay. And then we went back to the microphone. Well, I'm so sorry. I didn't know she was here. I didn't know. He grabbed her right in front of the whole room. It was hilarious wow. because that's how Dewey and I ended up getting married. The reason my name is Kathy Hughes. How did you get Melvin out of his shyness? Because I didn't know Melvin Lindsay as a radio personality. I knew him as when we first got cable. I knew Melvin Lindsay as a news personality. So he was like Brian Gumbel-ish. And I'm like, wait a minute. You were a Quiet Storm guy? And- so sexy. And I was too young to even know it. So, oh, just. I was like, how? so how did you? And did the song come before the show? I cannot take full credit for getting him out of his shell. Um, number one, Melvin was introduced to the gay lifestyle by, I also had the distinction of hiring the first openly um, uh, gay um, air personality, Robin Holden. Yes, Robin! Washington, D.C. Robin Holden, I I had to talk in code back in those days. She said, the children will be meeting this Friday night at so-and-so. She would talk in code. And Howard University was up my rear end, okay? Are you Uh, out of your mind? Conservative, right. Okay, executive, conservative, uh, homophobic, all of that, okay? And uh, at the same time, I'm getting all these rave reviews from the, um, uh, because DC, as quiet as it's kept, Mm -hmm. okay, is a big gay and lesbian city. Shut up. All right, okay, (laughs) all right, okay. (laughs) For many, many decades. And so, okay, so Robin was, and Robin was an incredible air personality, incredible Mm -hmm. air personality, all right? And she helped Melvin come out of his shell because I think that she made him comfortable with his sexuality. 
She okay. made him feel that it was okay because Melvin was very closeted at that time, which contributed to his, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, he was engaged. I bought the engagement ring for a young lady and uh, she left him um, because uh, she recognized that he wasn't comfortable with uh, her. But during those times when Melvin was quiet and withdrawn and wouldn't open the microphone, his show was almost like a black music. And so it grew in popularity. We didn't have any commercials because it was a student shift. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they popular. we became number one in a matter of, of like 18 months. We went from no listeners to being number one in the market because Melvin wouldn't open the mic and I had no commercials. So it was nonstop love. Music. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not, okay. Music. The theme of Philly International, there's a message in our music. Okay, we believed in that. And the message was one of love and affection and attention. And so Melvin blossomed and went on to become an incredible personality, incredible. Um, He grew into himself. He got comfortable with himself. Deanna Williams was very much a part of his growth and development. Okay, because he realized that he could be loved regardless of, okay. His sexuality, his sexual preference had no bearing on his talent. And he really, really, really blossomed and um, became this incredible, incredible television and radio personality uh, and uh, died too soon, too early. And so AIDS took him away way too uh, soon. Uh, he, was but it was, he was our first, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like he was our first yeah. major. He was. It just it it just hurts me to my heart to think what he could have been, what he Mm -hmm. could have done had he not been discriminated against, had he not been unable to be who he really was, uh, because talent, personality galore. And once it started coming out, it was only out for a short period of time. And then he was gone. He still needs to be in the Radio Hall of Fame somewhere. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Deserved it. He became my most popular, but the most popular of all the hosts of The Quiet Storm was Von Harper in New York. Von Harper. So let's talk about the franchising, the franchising of The Quiet Storm then. Yes, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> Howard wouldn't let me franchise it. They wouldn't let me license it. And at one time it was on, on there were stations that actually called themselves The Quiet Storm Station. Yeah, uh, Howard could have supported not just the School of Communications. Uh, they could have supported the entire school yeah. off just licensing. But the trademark. Store. Yes, that's I was like, what the trademark? Okay. The reason I left Howard University was I realized that they had taken a billion dollar baby that God had given me. You know, uh, uh, the the motherhood of, okay, that I had birthed a billion dollar baby for Howard University and they had thrown the baby, the bathwater and me out a window. And so I resigned because I resigned telling Dr. Cheek that I did not want to miss the next billion dollar baby that God might impregnate me with. I would not allow anyone else to be in charge of my destiny. And that's what Radio One became. It became that, okay, that that baby that God once again blessed me with because before Howard, they persecuted me. They punished me for the quiet storm. Really? Why? 
terribly. I was very, very, very provocative in um, my uh, oh, yeah. in my days at Howard University. I stood up for the students. I, uh, you know, uh, opened doors, and it wasn't Howard's fault. HBCUs only, you know, recently yeah, well, realized that, that education is a business. You have to make money at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, and all this to be announced, books not, not being in, classrooms not being assigned, having to stand in line for hours to register. Okay, mm-hmm. all I, of that. I, that's that's part of the experience. <laughs> it is. I'm like, wait a <laughs> But no, okay. Yeah. Howard was very good to me. Howard sent me to Harvard University for six weeks to learn broadcast management. Because when they told me they wanted to put me in the job as general manager, first as sales manager, I said, I don't know how to do it. And they said, well, you know, you know some of the basics. And they, they paid my tuition to Harvard. To the Harvard Business School? The business school. At that time, they had a six-week course called Broadcast Management. Wow. Okay. And then they paid my way for a uh, two-week course at the University of Chicago called Psychographic Programming. That's when I came back and created The Quiet Storm. So both times. So, you know, they say that, you know, I was their best student that never matriculated at Howard (laughs) University. But Howard invested in me quite seriously. I would not be, you know, professionally who I am or what I do now were it not for Howard. University. And so it was easy for me when I found out that the School of Communications was on, you know, in a, a danger of uh, not losing its accreditation and perhaps having to close that I was like, oh, no, that cannot happen. I can't allow that to happen because I they produced me. OK, okay. even though I was never a student. OK, <laughs> Howard University uh, produced who I am professionally. You know, I think that that over the years that some of the things that I wanted for the students and for the university have come to fruition. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, What I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the south side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn. Alliances will shift and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. 
Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime Annual Plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. I always wanted to know, like, okay, in my mind, to just establish one radio station seems like a task. But, I mean, you had or have over... 50 of these radio stations. So I guess my two-part question is, one, how taxing is it to have eyes? Because, I mean, you seem like a, a personable figure in terms of you probably know what works. You know your Atlanta staff, like you probably know your Dallas staff, The probably the way that you know your Chicago people versus your Philly. Like I'm certain that you have to have some sort of personable relationships with all of these conglomerates one why do you care two how taxing is it to run an empire (laughs) it's a long way from being an empire okay uh uh um. (laughs) you're saying that it's a long way from an empire i'm gonna gonna let let you do the small fries talk but i'm just saying that okay (laughs) whoever's like above you like what are you what are you comparing yourself to for me it's not it's not quantity more than it's the quality we do it differently Uh, we do it differently but let me say to you yeah behind my back they call me big mama because i have some interesting rules like you can attest to Uh, Mm, tell the stories we prepare for the drop in. That's what I'll say. She knows. She knows at every station when they get word that Miss H might be coming to town. There's a cleanup. Okay. Oh, <laughs> mama coming home. <laughs> yeah, there are just certain rules that I live by. One is that um, many, many years ago, um, I had an opportunity to work for inner city broadcasting. I put their station on the air uh, in Detroit. It was LBS, okay? It was, you know, BLS reconfigured. Mm -hmm. And there was an incident with an individual who called a um, a member of the staff a dumb bitch to her Mm -hmm. face. And I heard it, and I quit. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are just certain things that, that I just will not tolerate. One of them is any of my employees being cursed at. Because to me, it defeats the ability to get the best out of them. When somebody is cursed at, particularly by a superior, they're shutting down. Okay, you're not going to get whatever caused you to curse them out, you know, uh, curse at them or call them out of their name. You've defeated the purpose. And so as much as I curse at home, I don't allow it in my facilities. Okay, there's certain other things I didn't uh, don't allow. Speaking of BLS, one day I was um, going to surprise Wendy Williams, who started with me. Wendy Williams is one of the Uh-oh. individuals had her very yeah. first job with me, and she was interviewing Snoop. And I could smell the weed on the first floor before I got on the elevator going up. Okay, <laughs> I knew Snoop was on the air. Okay, and it's funny. So Wendy Williams said, "Oh, I just got word." that Miss Hughes is coming uh, in the building. And Snoop said, oh, I, I got to put this joint out because she don't allow no smoking up in her facilities. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. And so when he said, well, this is not her facility. This is inner city. He said, if Miss Hughes is here, I got to put it out. <laughs> okay. Because 
the FCC, right. so few black owners, I was not going to allow my staff to shoot themselves and deprive themselves of an opportunity by getting me and them in trouble with the FCC. So certain things I just prohibited. It kind of gave me the the reputation of being big mama. And okay, I believe in hugging. I believe that if I know you on medication, I'm an HR nightmare. Okay, my HR department. Okay, I'm an HR nightmare. Because if I know that you're on meds, and that can be here up in the station. I'm going to pull you aside and ask you, did you forget to take your meds that morning? Because I don't want you to blow your career. I don't want you abusing the people who make work for you. I don't want Not you to say for 2023. Okay. All right. And so it's <laughs> to know that you okay. It's important for me to right. know that, okay, I don't like I don't like how long you've been depressed now. Okay. I will think that you need to talk to somebody. So I'm going to recommend a good counselor. And then I'm going to check and see, did you follow up and call this person where I gave you a gift certificate? I was forever giving out gift certificates to go talk to somebody. Okay. It's literally like working for your auntie. Okay. So for you, of course, I would think that having good numbers is good news. As far as like the, the 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 ratings and whatnot, I can also imagine for you it it's, it could be concerning when you hire um, personalities that sort of grow in stature. So how do you immediately not prepare, but how do you handle when you have a per, a media personality that works for one of your stations that seems to be growing and growing? And you might like if they decide to go rogue. I mean, I never knew like how like was Wendy just allowed to do whatever she wanted to do, carte blanche, or was it always like she just operated and was like, let me suffer the consequences later if I if I start, you know, burning bridges of the artists that I talk about, but she still gets the numbers. Like, how do you handle like is it is it a nightmare when your artists when your personalities get bigger than you planned on them for, for being at least as oh, effective for the radio station. I hope I asked no, that I question. Would, I right. want them to be as big as they can possibly be. But most importantly, well, isn't that bad business them... for you? Because when it comes to like renegotiating the contract or, you know, someone tries no. to poach them and take them away. Hey, Oprah Winfrey, we heard no. you're doing weather on this thing. How would you like your own show? Like, how do you handle that situation? I, I, listen, uh, one of uh, my very favorite personalities of all time, a brother named Jerry Bledsoe. Mm. Jerry Bledsoe worked for me both at Radio One and at uh, WHUR. But when he got an opportunity to double his salary, I helped negotiate that contract for him. You can't get too big in my book. The bigger, up to me, <laughs> rising uh, water lifts all boats. Okay, I mm-hmm. want you to get big. I also want you to maintain respect. Okay, respect is very important to me. Um, and um, the, Wendy's biopic was so inaccurate. She accused mm-hmm. Deanna Williams of uh, firing her. Deanna wasn't even there. Okay, so mm-hmm. Deanna could not have done what Wendy said. Uh, I've never smoked in any of my facilities, and I used to smoke cigarettes a pack a day. 
girl, you know, uh, but I've never smoked in any of my facilities because um, most facilities, because, you know, it's radio, it's, it's, you know, confined and they stink after they smoke. Okay. The smoke gets in there. So I never smoked. Yeah. And, And so, you know, the true Wendy story was that I knew that Wendy had a problem. Uh, mm-hmm. Because one evening I had to pay, she was being held hostage by her dealer and I had to pay to get her release to come to work. And, and I was what? very concerned. Well, being she was young, that was her first big market, you know, radio job. And yeah. she passed out on the air. The reason Wendy and I parted company is she literally passed out on the air. And the record back in those days, we were paying, you know, LPs, it was skipping. And I only lived like three, four minutes from the station. And I ran in there and she was literally passed out. And we um, got her, you know, um, medical care. The rescue squad came and everything. And uh, we then, um, you know, helped her uh, move on to a different position in, Mm -hmm. you know, a different market. She came back to work for me many years later. Then even after her biopic, um, she requested that we be a second window on her television show. So we're running her television show on Clio TV, my second network. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, exactly. So uh, Wendy's issue was not her getting too big. Wendy's issue was the demon that she couldn't overcome, couldn't fight, that she couldn't win, win against. And, and so many of us have, you know, talent. But we also have a self-destructive entity to our yeah. personality. Okay, that's real. And that's okay. That's what Wendy had. You know, I mean, Tom Joyner at one time was the biggest. Their personality. The only person bigger than him was Howard Stern, and that was because Howard Stern was on white stations, and there were a lot more white stations. Tom mm-hmm. Joyner mm-hmm. was on a hundred and twenty-seven radio stations, of which. He was number one in 80 plus of those. Okay. Okay. Never an issue. Never once wanted him not to continue to grow. Ricky Smiley now is, I'm delighting with how he's growing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Donnie Simpson came back, okay, to radio Mm -hmm. to work for us. So it's not an issue of them. And yeah, contract negotiations always are tough. But when you run your company the way we run ours, which is very family oriented, even with HR and all of the rest, Mm -hmm. then we don't have the same type of contract negotiations that you would have perhaps at an iHeart or someplace else. Okay, because we're quite transparent with our people. This is how much money we make off your show. (laughs) This is what your ratings look like. And this is how much we can afford to pay you. Okay, I probably have a Guinness World Book record of people who have worked for me, who have gotten fired, who have quit, who have come back more times. Okay, one of them on this call. All right, you can raise your hands. Right. Okay. All right. Who have come back many, many, many times, and some of them, you know, um, twice. Twice. Many times. Okay. That's me. But but. I just happen to think that we all grow and we change with our life and age and experiences. And I think just because we might have messed up 
at one time, uh, you know, I was hopeful that Wendy would be, be able to make a comeback, but I, you know, okay. am kind of doubtful now that yeah. that will happen because I think that her health has, mm-hmm. is not being as responsive as she would need it to be to, for, uh, you know, have a comeback. And Sherry is doing so good on that yeah. show. So yeah. lovable. And, and, you know, she comes, you know, off our network. She was on with Tom Joyner for a lot of years. Cheryl Underwood. Oh, yeah. Underwood. Yeah. Now, Cheryl Underwood was a black Republican on Tom Joyner's show first. She just did a feature. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. Whoa. And so the only one that I really had an issue with, and now he's back, he's on my Atlanta station, Steve Harvey. And wow. uh, Steve let's Harvey, talk about I, it. Okay. Steve and I parted. It was the best thing that ever happened to Steve. LA. It forced him to become the great. L.A. People know who Steve Harvey is because of my company. He did my morning show at the Beat in Los Angeles. Okay, that was his first major gig. And uh, Steve wanted to do things his way. And that didn't work for me. So I sent a shockwave uh, through the company the morning that and and I used to tell Steve, quite honestly, I said, listen, I did morning drive for 11 years. I'm waiting to talk about it. Okay, please do not re- uh, tempt me to replace you with myself. Because I would wow. love to be on the radio <laughs> in L.A. Okay. Steve didn't think I was serious until that morning when he and I parted company and I sat in his chair. Okay. What? Uh, and, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he was- <laughs> <laughs> you called his bluff. Yeah. What, what were the things he wanted to do that I guess didn't gel with you? You say he wanted to do it his way. What ideas did he have that just didn't work for what you want to do? Or things that just may not work for radio, period, you know? Steve is very talented, but very dogmatic in his approach to how he wants to do things and get things um, done. You know, I don't want to go into certain specifics. specifics. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But, but how did y'all come back together then? With all of that. <laughs> Time. Uh, we came back together almost immediately because it was the best thing that ever could have happened to him. And I told him that. Let me just say to you, you know, I've, I've been married and I've been in some serious long term relationships. And I'm friends with all of my exes because mm-hmm. to me, just because a person is your ex, whether it's professionally or personally, <laughs> you shouldn't be bad mouthing them. Makes you look like you ain't got good sense. Makes you look like you don't have good judgment. You chose them. Okay. Yes, Miss Hughes. Yes, 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 yes Miss Hughes. <laughs> Let's talk about it, Miss Hughes. Okay, I'm the same way professionally. All right, just because it didn't work out, I'm not going to bad mouth you. I'm not going to stop you from getting other opportunities. I'm not going to stand in your way. Okay, because it makes me look like I didn't know what I was doing when I hired you. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. Same thing with exes. I give this lecture to young women all the time. It is crazy for you to be bad mouthing your baby daddy. Okay, you got pregnant you by so. him. Okay. Okay. okay, you got enough of him. Okay, to have a baby with him, and now he is low life dog. People basically don't change. Okay. <laughs> all right, so I know it's like church. That's true. Okay, then that's why he was when you decide you won't let him get you pregnant. Mm. So that doesn't 
reflect very favorably on you. I feel the same way personally. Wait, hey, wait, my hold on. This is philosophically speaking. If people don't change, how do you give them second and third chances? How does that work? I'm, their basic personalities don't change. People do change. You learn. You learn. Right, so yeah, your understanding of them changes. Yeah, okay. your understanding of them changes, uh, and they do change in terms of, of how they operate. Okay. All right. We haven't had any of the issues with Steve being on our stage at state at stations in a syndicated capacity that we right. had was working for me directly. And, and I mean, right after Steve came Lala, Lala was my midday air personality at beat. Okay? Lala was a midday mommy too. Lala was with Chris Level Love and Poon Daddy. Remember in Atlanta, that's where she started. I, I knew Lala when she was M an MTV personality. Oh, I didn't know about her radio ones, days. Wait, we're the one who got her that job. The woman who was the program director at MTV was Mary Catherine. Mary Catherine Sneed. Mary Catherine Sneed, who was in charge of programming for all my radio stations. And she said, listen, there's a great opportunity I think Lala would be perfect for. Okay. And we wow. negotiated that contract for Lala. And again, it kind of hurts my feelings because Lala talks about I started off in radio. I was like, could you call our company's name? It would help us. We're a small black company, you know, any, mm. any, okay. That's why I'm so grateful to you having me on this, please. You've had all, of, okay. Uh, wow. the, the Kings and Queens of celebrity dumb. Okay. And for you to allow me to come on is such an honor. I'm so grateful to all of you all for well, allowing our fabric of America. What are you saying? You're a part of the fabric. You are, you are. all of our lives. Hey y'all, it's Laia. And that's where we will end part one of the Questlove Supreme interview with Kathy Hughes, the first black woman to head a media company publicly traded on the U.S. Stock Exchange. You may know those companies as TV One and Radio One, which come together as Urban One. Ms. Hughes has been in my life since the beginning, so I am truly honored to have her on her first ever podcast interview with Team Supreme. Yes! Stay tuned for part two where Kathy speaks about her commitment to portraying Black excellence on television, stories on some of her famed hosts, and the role of radio in the Black community today. As a QLS tradition, we will continue to celebrate Women's History Month with some of the strongest female voices. And that's definitely Kathy Hughes. Don't forget to check out part two, coming soon. Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the Land of Saints and Sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R.